Church, one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible uh, is found in the book of Jonah. I love the story of, of Jonah. It's a story that many of us are familiar with. If you've spent much time in, in church, when you think of Jonah, you probably think of a, a large fish or perhaps a whale that swallowed Jonah. But Jonah uh, will receive this call from God uh, to go and to, uh, to, to preach to the city of Nineveh, a large and influential city. Uh, a, a wealthy city, a city that uh, worshipped, by and large, false gods. But Jonah was not such a faithful and obedient servant. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew how wicked the people were there, and he did not want them to experience the compassion and the mercy of, of God. And I really think the primary point of that story is found in the final verse uh, of the book, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11 and it reads this way, that verse tells us that God said to Jonah, he said, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Now, that's not a statement about the lack of education in Nineveh. It's a, an idiom that's communicating the lack of, of spiritual and moral insight. In other words, God is saying to Jonah that because there are so many people in this city that do not know me, I want to have compassion on them. In essence, he's implying this question to Jonah and to us as well as readers of the scriptures. How can you look at so many people, thousands upon thousands of people who don't know me and not have compassion on them? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Church, the God that we serve is a merciful creator, a loving Lord who has created people, men and women, boys and girls in his image. And he has a desire to show compassion and mercy on all people. He has a desire for all people to repent and to turn to him for salvation. And because God cares about people, then we as his people must naturally care about places where people are. We must naturally begin to care for the great cities of the world called upon to care for communities and cities and other places where people are populated that don't know God so that we might be a light, so that we might be a witness to the world, to all those around us right where we are, uh, to the truth. In fact, as we open the scriptures this morning, I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. But before we look at, at Jeremiah 29, I want to read from Matthew chapter 5. And so if you want to open the scriptures with me, let me encourage you to open the scriptures with me. Firstly, to Matthew chapter 5, to the Sermon on the Mount, to some famous words of, of Jesus, first book of the New Testament, and then we'll turn uh, quickly to Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah, uh, near the end of the Old Testament, long book of prophecy. Tim Keller, who is uh, a prolific author and the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, has said this uh, about cities. He said, cities, quite literally, have more of the image of God per square inch 
than any other place on earth. Let me read that again. He says, cities quite literally have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on the earth. And because cities are filled with vast numbers of people who do not know God, church, I think the scriptures call upon us to learn what it means to be a gospel witness in our city, in Birmingham and the surrounding suburbs and beyond for the glory of God. So let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, well-known passage of scripture, instructions from Jesus to his followers. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It goes on, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in essence, Jesus uses uh, two things, salt and light, two common things in the world to communicate to his followers, to his people, that we are to be different. That we're to to influence the world and those around us uh, for good and point them to, to God. So it's in light of that truth and that calling to be salt and light, I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. So uh, turn with me to Jeremiah Uh, chapter 29, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. And there God's word reads this way. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem The skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. Verse 3, he entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So that was a, a mouthful of difficult names. So here's what's happening. This letter is being sent from God through the prophet Jeremiah to his people in exile in Babylon. And verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me 
and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. It says, I will, gather from you from, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us in it. And Lord, now we ask you, we invite you to guide us in rightly dividing and understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives today as your people in 2016 living in Birmingham, Alabama. Guide us now by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, church, based upon this scripture and others in God's word, the central truth that I want us to take away, that I want us to to cling to, to take hold of and begin to think about how it applies to our lives today as Christians is this. It is that we are called to leave a gospel legacy for this city. We are called to leave a gospel legacy for this city, for the community and the city and beyond in which we live. This is where we live. This is where God has us at this moment in our lives. And to be faithful to Him is to be salt and light right here where He has us. So here's the context of Jeremiah chapter 29. So God's people... Israelites, the Jews in that day, had been disobedient. They'd been unfaithful. They had abandoned allegiance to God and they had run after false gods. And as a result, God was carrying out his judgment, his punishment on them for their disobedience. In fact, the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen some 100 plus years earlier to the Assyrians from the north. Judah, the southern portion of the kingdom, had held out, but now their time has come for a wicked king, a ruthless nation has come in. King Nebuchadnezzar had come in from Babylon and he has conquered the southern kingdom. He has conquered Judah, which houses Jerusalem, which is the religious and political center of the nation. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and conquers them and then he begins to take many of them into exile. And so many of the Jews leave Jerusalem and the surrounding region and they go on this 550 mile journey through a barren wasteland to the city of Babylon. No doubt on foot and under armed guard. This is a journey of suffering. They are going to a foreign land among a ruthless people. This is not something in any way desirable whatsoever. And so in that place, God sends a message to them through his servant Jeremiah. And his people, his exiles, want to go home. They, they want to, to be back where they are. And, and part of the, the warfare strategy of the Babylonians was to, uh, to aid in the peoples that they conquered losing their spiritual identity. So it was for this reason that they took them into exile. They would often take the professional class, the elites, particularly those that they felt had influence in society, into exile for a period of time before then allowing them to return home hoping that during that time they would assimilate into the surrounding Babylonian culture and lose their distinct spiritual identity. This is sort of like what some of you and others said to me when I came here. You said, eventually, we're going to make an Alabama fan out of you. 
or eventually we're going to make an Auburn fan out of you. Now, I know that I do some dumb things. I am not denying that whatsoever, but it doesn't make good sense to me to immediately become seasonal enemies of half of you. So I'm going to retain my former identity and continue cheering for that other red team from a little further west. But here in Jeremiah, Babylonians want the Jews to lose their spiritual identity. They want, the Babylon, they want the Jews to lose their identity as a distinct people who declare allegiance to a certain God. But through Jeremiah, God told the people to remain in Babylon, to stay there and point others, point the surrounding nation to the God that they worship. And likewise, church, followers of Jesus, God desires us to be gospel witnesses right where we are. God of the Scriptures, the one and only God, the God who has called us to know Him and to follow Him and has extended forgiveness of sins to us by the blood of Jesus, calls us to be gospel witnesses right where we are. And so this was the message, in essence, that came to the exiles in Babylon. They're in a place they didn't want to be. They wanted to go home. They longed to go home. But the Lord said, no, you're going to be here for 70 years. So because you're going to be here for 70 years, build houses, get to work, increase in number. He says in verses 5, he says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. In other words, keep your, your identity as a distinct people. Settle down here. This is where I have you for quite some time. Some of you will never go back to uh, your homeland, no doubt, but your descendants will. I have you here at this moment. Settle down here. Retain your spiritual identity. Grow as a people. Point others to me. In other words, long before Jesus told his followers that they are to be salt and light in the world, the Jews in exile were called upon to be salt and light in the world. And by doing so, they would began to fulfill the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that his people would be a light to the Gentiles, that they would be a blessing to the nations of the world. And church, we too, as believers in Jesus, are called to live in such a way that points others to the God that we serve. So because that is the case, Christians, followers of Jesus, let's live distinctively Christian lives. Let's live distinctively Christian lives. So here, the Jews in exile were called to settle down, called to make this at least their temporary home in a foreign nation in Babylon. But at the same time, they were also to know that they are distinct from those around them, called to settle and influence the society for It's own good, but at the same time, we know from Scripture that we, as followers of Jesus, are called upon not to conform, right, to the pattern of this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In other words, those who know Jesus ought to live differently. Enough differently that the world notices that there is something distinct about us, that there is something different about us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like James, the brother of of Jesus posed the question this way. He says in James 2.14, he says, What good is it, 
my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And we know from Scripture that salvation is by grace alone. It is unmerited. It is unearned. It is a a gift freely given by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But genuine faith in Christ produces a life that looks different from the rest of the world. So we are called upon to be gospel witnesses right where we are. In our schools, in our communities, in our workplaces, the marketplace, in the ball field, in the city, in the hospitals, wherever we are. Over the last few years, I've had opportunities to visit with a number of people from this faith family while in the hospital and Some of those visits particularly stand out to me. Folks that were in the hospital for what we would call terminal illness. Seemed like dark and depressing days, but I remember walking away on more than one occasion, blown away by their gospel witness in such a place. Witnessing by their words, by their actions, by their attitude, by their joy, to their love for Christ, to medical staff and other visitors who had come to see them. It left a gospel witness, a gospel legacy, right where the Lord had them. And likewise, church, as long as we are here, we have opportunities to be salt and to be light, to point others to the God that we serve. So let's be faithful in doing that. Let's be Christian fathers and mothers and neighbors and sons and daughters and spouses and friends. Let's be Christian in whatever relationships that God gives us, wherever we are and whatever we do. Let's be faithful to Jesus and adamant about pointing others to the love of Jesus Christ. Likewise, you are a student or an employee. Be the best student and employee. If you are a student and you're a follower of of Jesus, then you ought to be the very best student. And by that, I don't necessarily mean that you are the valedictorian, but you are one who works hard and who respects your teachers and who loves your peers for the sake of the reputation of Jesus among them. Likewise, if you are an employee and a Christ follower, then you ought to be the very best employee the most reliable, the most honest, the hardest working for the sake of the reputation of Jesus among your peers. The instructions that Paul gives to slaves living in first century Colossae apply to believers everywhere today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Church, God's will for us is far more about faithfulness in the present, right where we are, in the context that He has us, than it is about figuring out some future plan. God desires us to be gospel witnesses right where we are. And church, one way that we can practice that, one way that we can participate in doing that is by seeking the welfare of our city. God desires us to seek the welfare or the well-being of 
our city. Verse 7 of Jeremiah chapter 29 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And we could substitute city for community or for school or anywhere that you find yourself, maybe on the ball field or in the band, where you are surrounded by others. We live here in greater Birmingham metropolis when, where many people don't know Christ and we are called to seek the well-being of this city for the sake of Christ and the reputation of Christ that others in this area might come to know and to follow after Christ. Some translations say in verse 7, seek the welfare of the city. So the exiles are in Babylon, this foreign land among pagan peoples, among ruthless, wicked peoples, and they are called upon to seek the well-being of those people. Not simply for their own benefit, but for the benefit of those that live there as a way of being a witness to their God. An actual Hebrew word there is shalom, a word that you've probably heard of, a word that's often used as a greeting of, of peace. God calls upon His people to seek the well-being of those right where He has them. And by seek, I don't mean to look for it. I mean to, to work hard to obtain it. So because God loves people, and because we are witnesses, gospel witnesses, right where we are, we must learn to love those who are right near us. We must learn to love our city. Love your city. It's no secret that this is where God has us. Let's love those around us. Let's work for their good. God doesn't call us to assimilation, to be just like the world around us, nor does He call us to segregation, to be totally separate, totally distinct, with no influence and no association. He calls us to live here and to influence and to love and to serve for His name and for the good of others. We are called to leave a gospel legacy for this city. And friends, that means even if those around us here in the world are increasingly hostile to the message that we're called to proclaim. Even if, perhaps, local legislation uh, passes some laws that make it harder for us to do what we believe we've been called to do. Or even if the world is less and less interested with the church and with the gospel, we are still called to love those around us and to serve those around us and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those we encounter for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ's reputation and as a way of strengthening our witness in the world. So how can we do that? How can we love our city in a way that glorifies God? Well, firstly, let's engage in the political process. Believers in Jesus, we are privileged to live here where we have the right to vote. So let's engage in the political process. Let's desire leaders who work for the benefit of the city and who display the character of God in their leadership. So as we approach another election cycle, let's get to know those who are running for local office. Let's determine what they stand for, what they're about, and then let's prayerfully cast our vote for those who desire to work for the good of the city and glorify God. Let's engage in the political process, but far more important than even that, church, followers of Jesus, let's pray for God's image bearers all around us. Let's pray for God's image bearers in Birmingham and beyond. Earlier this week, I think it was 
Wednesday morning, I was taking my daughter to school. And on that particular morning, 280 was a parking lot. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was one of those foggy, misty mornings. And I'm guessing that somewhere down the road, there was a fender bender. And as a result, traffic was absolutely crawling. Crawl for a few seconds, then it would stop for a few seconds. What felt like a few minutes. And it would do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, parenting really humbles you. And I'm sitting here, and as I'm complaining about all the traffic around me, I suddenly realized that I'm teaching my five-year-old how to respond to such things. And in light of this text and the message that I believe that God was laying on my heart at the time, I immediately began to be convicted by God's Spirit that what I ought to be doing is not complaining about those around me, but praying for the vast numbers of people all around me, no doubt, many of whom do not know Jesus Christ. Church, we are surrounded by scores of people, by hundreds of people, by hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Birmingham area, many of whom do not know Jesus Christ. Perhaps they know about Jesus Christ, and certainly some of them, many of them know Jesus Christ, but many more of them do not know Jesus Christ. They don't know His love. They've not experienced His salvation and forgiveness of sins. They've not given their lives to him. Church, let's pray for those around us that bear the image of God as human beings created in his image and his likeness who do not know the God who saves. For like Nineveh and like Babylon, there are lost people all around us. And like Jonah and the Jews in exiles, the Jews in exile, we are called upon to point them to the God who saves. Do you know the God who saves? Have you received forgiveness of sins and abundant life by the grace of God extended to you and to me and to whosoever will repent of sins and trust in Jesus for salvation? If you don't know Him, if you have not turned to Him for salvation, then do so today, right where you are. Trust in Him. Give your life to Him. For He knows you and desires you to know Him and to spend eternity with Him. Church, like the Jews in Babylon, we are called to witness here right where we are while we wait for a future day. While we anticipate a future hope, God invites us to long for and proclaim future hope. God invites us to long for, to anticipate, to look forward to the day of His return and to proclaim that future hope to whosoever we encounter. You know, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is... A beloved verse. It's one of our favorites. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. A verse that plastered on bedroom walls and it's put in graduation cards and all over social media and everywhere that we quote passages of Scripture. And rightly so. What a comforting, what a promising truth that is true for God's people according to His Word. But we... We often fail to look at it in its broader context because the rest of the story is not so immediately gratifying. In fact, verse 10 says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. In other words, I've got good plans for you, but it's going to be a while before you experience the fullness of them. It's going to be 70 years. Some of you will no longer be here. 
But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You know, the truth is that Jeremiah had a difficult task. He lived in a hard day. He lived in a tumultuous day, yet he was called upon to proclaim hope in God, a message of hope. And he was faithful in doing just that, even though he had very few converts. Continued to deliver the message of God, a message of hope and a future hope for all of, of God's people. I don't know how many of you have been watching some of the Olympics over the last uh, few days, but I have over the last uh, couple days. And, and yesterday morning, I was watching the Olympics, and one of the commentators uh, began to tell the story and said something like this. There are all kinds of great swimmers here in uh, Rio right now, so the best in uh, the world. So-and-so and so-and-so, and, so, and of course, Michael Phelps, and on and on. I said, but, but none of these are actually the best swimmer here. For there's a swimmer here that is greater than all of of these, and then he went on to tell the story of uh, this penguin, uh, this penguin named Dindim. Now, this penguin showed up five years prior on the beach off the coast of Brazil, some uh, distance south of Rio, and had oil all over his feathers and uh, seemed to be starving to death, this young penguin. And so this man noticed it and took this penguin in and began to care for it and clean it up over the course of several days and uh, hand-feed it back to, to health and strength and then attempted to let the penguin go. So he goes out and he lets the penguin go and he goes back home and the penguin follows him back home. The penguin had bonded with this man who rescued him and actually stayed and lived with him for 11 months. The penguin would not leave his home. And then finally one day, the next year, the penguin disappears. The penguin swims out in the ocean. Nobody knows where the penguin goes, but experts say that the penguin probably migrated like other penguins several thousand miles away as they do. And then just a few months later, the penguin shows back up at the man's home, elated to see this man. They've bonded. He believes this is his home, and he proceeds to do this for the next four years. He has done this for five years now, coming home, living with this man who has rescued him, and then departing sometime in February and returning sometime in May or June, for he believes that that is his home with the one who has rescued him. And likewise, Christians, our home, our permanent home is with the God who has rescued us. And the longer we know Him, the longer we walk with Him, the longer we commune with Him, the more we desire to be with Him. We long for His return because we want to be in our future home in the presence of our Savior. But church, in the meantime, we are here. And while we are here, we are called to trust Him, to live for Him, to be salt and to be light, to point a lost and dying world to the God who saves. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 13 saying this, he said, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Church fathers of Christ, wait for the appearing of our Savior. But until that day, we live in this community, we live in this city, we live in this world, and our task is to leave a gospel legacy on this city. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God who rescues, that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who knows us and who cares for us, and what a God who desires to be known by us. So, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are a God who has come to us and offered salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there are folks here today that do not know you in that way, they would come to know you today, that they would repent and turn to Jesus now. And Father, I pray that we indeed, as followers of Jesus, would be gospel witnesses who leave a gospel legacy wherever you call us, wherever we go, for the good of others and for the glory of our great God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.